Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Chips, the soccer podcast from Vice Sports. My name is Aaron Gordon. I am a staff writer here at Vice Sports. I gotta say it's a pretty gloomy day here in Brooklyn. It's like 40 and rainy and February and just everything about it just says stay in bed with some hot chocolate or something. But I didn't stay in bed. I came into work like a good worker in our capitalist society. Joining me on the line is Will McGee, staff writer from Vice Sports UK. Will, how are things in London? Yeah, the weather's fine. I'm kind of coming down with something this week, I think. So that's quite classic February. Possibly my girlfriend's sister's kids have made me ill. I was like babysitting them on the weekend. I reckon they've given me like child lurgy, like where kids just get like weird child plague and then give it to adults. I'm a bit worried that I'm going to come down with some sort of horrible immune system resistant cold and just generally be wintry and ill and have to eat soup it's actually quite nice so i shouldn't really complain yeah i was sick last week i didn't, i don't have any children to blame it on just my own pitiful immune system <laughs> the good news is we have a pretty great show today a lot of topics i'm excited about we're going to talk to another vice sports writer sean newell who had an interesting experience over the weekend with an american fan support group called the American Outlaws. They're basically like the unofficial American soccer fan group. So we had some technical difficulties getting him on the line with us, so I have to call him. And rather than include Will on that call, which will lead to an exorbitant telephone bill for Vice Sports UK, we don't want to get Will in trouble. So I'm just going to do that call with Sean and we'll run through the rest of the show now. So there's really no like non-awkward way to do this and pretend like we have spoken to Sean. We really haven't. So I'm just throwing it all out there. Yes, I think you've handled that with great dignity. Yes. I don't like keeping things from our listeners. You know, full disclosure, full transparency here on here on Chip's podcast. I think that's a good policy. Excellent. I do have some questions to you about the american outlaws i want to know more okay. so yeah can you can you answer my queries i can answer your questions i'm sure uh, i was just doing a bit of research on them and unite and strengthen am i right in saying that's kind of their slogan yeah they have a lot of like unofficial slogans but i think that's their like official one i quite like that that was quite sort of trade unionist i don't know if that's deliberate probably not <laughs> yeah not. and then also i was looking at their badge that seemed like there was quite a lot to analyze there their badge had the pyramid with the eye of god on it that's on the dollar bill i don't really know what that means but i see it a lot on memes so that was good and then they also have like a football 
it's kind of quite a mixed metaphor, but in a visual sense, in that there's like a football, it's just the crossbones with the football as the skull, but then the football's wearing a bandana that's also the American flag. It was like so fucking many mixed messages there. I mean, it was amazing, really. Do you like have any insight into what that's meant to mean? Kind of like patriotism, patriotism, but also punk. By sports, man. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Sean. (laughs) Sean. Welcome. I think we should just leave this like completely uncut in the podcast. Like, <laughs> the Sean just bursts into the podcast at the point that I'm talking about the American Outlaws. I like Sean it. doing the full Kool Aid Man routine, just coming in right through the wall. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. No, it's fine. But it, I mean, obviously, it's not going to sound like professional. But fuck it. Like, this is Chip's podcast. This is how we do things. Okay. Well, <laughs> hey, Sean, you're here for our discussion about American Outlaws. I am. Let's, uh, let's jump right in. I was just asking Aaron what the American Outlaws badge means, and you know, I was trying to, I was trying to kind of find out about that. I was saying that there's a lot of different components. There's like a pyramid. There's a football, there's some crossbones, there's a bandana, there's an American flag. What do you think they're trying to sort of say with that? I, I honestly have no idea about the logo. I just know the people <laughs> who I've like run into in real life and online, and it just seems like super annoying. <laughs> okay, so I was, I was going to set this up you know, a bit more formally when I recorded with Sean separately, which of course is not happening now. Here's why Sean is on the show to talk about American Outlaws during a time in which national team really isn't playing any meaningful matches. It's because at 7.41 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on February 3rd, 2017, which was Friday night, Sean tweeted, and I quote, My local has become an outpost for the American outlaws. It's the most annoying thing. Sean, can you walk us through how this tweet came to be? It was frustration, really, because the past two times I've been there now, I guess have coincided with, like, these international friendlies, and it's just, like, mobbed with American outlaws, like, out of nowhere. Like, they have never been there before. I don't want to say I go there a lot, but I go there a lot. And they're in there, like, chanting doing all these, like, cheers with their stupid scarves, making a whole scene. And this is like a bar restaurant. There are people having dinner, like, five feet away from them, and they're, like, doing some stupid chant. It's like, (laughs) like, have a brain. So this just started recently? Like, this hasn't been an Outlaws bar for some time? It has never been an Outlaws bar. It's Like, I guess if you wanted to say it's a soccer bar, you could. But that's just because it's in Woodlawn, and it's a super Irish neighborhood. So, like... There's always soccer fans there, but the Irish watch sports in a bar like how you're supposed to, which is silently drinking, and then you, like, react if something cool happens. That's it. What chants do they do? You know the Rangers goal chant? Uh, yeah. It sounds like that, like, oh, but, like, with the USA thrown in there somehow? Oh, yeah, 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 I know which one you're talking about. And, yeah, and there's just, like, a lot of clapping, and it's just, like, literally everybody's looking at them, like, what are you doing like how many of them are there 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 had to have been at least 30 what yeah like it's a whole thing like and they like commandeer like the one big screen and like gather around it and like do their their stupid chants and their stupid claps and it's just like everybody's there it's like the end of the week you're just trying to like have a cold one and like have some fun and you got these assholes like 
making a lot of noise. There are a couple of interesting things here to me. First of all, every outlaw bar I've ever been to for a game, it's not like a shared eatery place. It's like a traditional sports bar where there's only enough room to really like stand around or lean against tables. Like even if the outlaws there outnumber non-soccer watchers, it's still like everyone else is there to watch sports. So it's still less awkward. But the other thing is how it just, like, all of a sudden became an outlaw bar. Like, that's very strange to me, because the ones that I know of have been U.S. soccer bars for, like, a very long time. Yeah, I I mean, like, I've been living in this neighborhood for, like, eight years now. I've never seen these people before in my life until two weeks ago. You're exactly right. Like, it's not a traditional... Like, it's, it's a sports bar. It's like a pub, restaurant, sports bar. There's TVs everywhere, and, like, sports are always on. But, like, it's not... A soccer bar it's not an american outlaws bar to me this is almost like the american outlaws in micro like they're trying to like make this a thing and it's not <laughs> even like the actual like irish like legit european soccer fans are like what the hell are you guys doing like this is <laughs> this is wrong <laughs> like, i don't know anything about the american outlaws right i mean i've never met an american outlaw i've never been to a bar with american outlaw but, like, as far as I can tell, is their modus operandi that they want to improve, like, atmosphere and stuff at games and generally get, like, a, the kind of U.S. soccer national team experience going. That's the remit of them, right? So I'm not sure how you could do that when, like, there's a family having dinner right next to you. Again, like, you want to, like, cheer for your team? Like, I'm all about that. We're obviously working in sports for a reason. We like sports. But, like, you have to have some sort of, like, awareness of what you're doing and where you're doing it and... It's just weird. It's disorienting. Like, everybody in the bar was really like, what are these people doing? And, like, I think it's totally fine to be an American outlaw. Like, I don't have any specific problem against wanting to, like, make rooting for the national team, like, a cool, fun thing. But you also have to realize that you're not alone in the world. (laughs) And your stupid stuff is, like, impacting the people who you just invaded, basically. It's a whole American thing. I'm just looking up on the Outlaws official like page, and so the, the way Outlaws works is they have chapters around the country, and it's pretty decentralized. The chapters just apply for membership once they get a certain number of members, and then they they can do whatever they want, pretty much, and there's very little oversight. So I'm seeing that there's the American Outlaws Bronx chapter, which is chapter number 166, which means they're pretty mm-hmm. new. They might even be like the newest one. I didn't realize there were 166 chapters. Interesting. So, and they're out of Rambling House. Is that the bar? That's the bar. Yeah, so that's the official bar for the chapter, um, and they're new. So that's probably why they've invaded you oh guys recently. Oh, God, they have an official bar. Are you serious? Every, every chapter has an official has a bar like where they hold watch parties. This is not going away unless they switch bars. This is like the worst news I've heard all year, man. <laughs> Can you – I mean, like, why is this uh, – not to question your life choices, but I'm just, I, like, <laughs> genuinely curious, like, why this is your bar and what you liked about it before the outlaw uh, I mean, it was just, like, basically the closest one to my house. Ha- this place is full of bars, but it was, like, the closest to my house – it was the most sort of American where the old Irish salts wouldn't like look at you funny if you walked in. I just I, I got to know the bartenders, so like it's cheaper for me to drink there than elsewhere, which is also nice. And yeah, really it's just a matter of convenience and habit. And now these people are going to be there all the time whenever there's a soccer game. Yeah, so the, the other thing that is really amazing to me is that they have 
that they had this turnout for a pointless friendly against Jamaica. Um, that doesn't bode well for once they actually start to be serious. Matches. I mean, I'm going to have to start paying closer attention to the schedule now, I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. You really this this the fact that this is like an official thing now has really severely bumped. The me reason out. why I wanted you to come on and talk about this is because <laughs> it's kind of like the flip side of the growth of American soccer coin. Like we often hear about how great it is that American soccer is more popular, that people are more into it, that they're like like you you often see. I know that like during the World Cup, like you know you always get those like camera shots from a packed bar or like you know whatever in or like a big square where everyone is watching the game but you don't often hear from like the people who aren't like as passionate about the game who are just like have their lives just completely invaded by these in a lot of cases i'm going to be completely honest like they're complete knuckleheads like just acting like you know with no social awareness inside (laughs) uh an otherwise completely agnostic environment under the auspices of the fact that everyone should care about a friendly between the U.S. and Jamaica. Will, I want to get your thoughts on something, because, like, in the U.S., it's not that strange for soccer bars to have, like, chants and stuff, like, people to be singing inside the bar, even if, like, the game is quite far away. Not that, like, even if the game was a mile away, that would make it okay, but... Is that a thing people do in the UK too? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it depends how pissed people are, really. Like, yeah, I think it's probably <laughs> the sort of thing people would do. Probably more for like a club game than an international game, I guess. But then I suppose the thing is that like most pubs in the UK, because pub culture is such like a defined thing, it's very unlikely you'd ever get a TV in a bar that like was like a gastro pub that served food or you know. You go to like a pub that you know is going to show sport and then you draw a certain crowd. You don't generally mix eating with sports watching or like if you do, you're eating like gammon and chips or like, you know, like a curry or something. So I guess there's just less of like a weird culture clash going on, like as, as Sean described. I mean, that definitely sounds like, I don't know, but then if I was that bar's manager, I might have thought twice about allowing people to like, go nuts in my bar over the US national team when there were like people also eating and just chilling out I mean I guess you just got to read the room right you got to kind of feel the vibe and although you will get like English football fans singing in pubs and just generally shouting and being like quite raucous it's not often that that gets mashed together with like someone eating some lobster <laughs> so you said you know the bartenders like did you ask them like what the they, fuck is they going were the on? they were like we have no idea what's happening right now like this is <laughs> like that's why it's so like when you said that there's like the official designation of that bar as their bar like do they just like oh we'll pick this bar or like do they have to run it by management or because I, I don't think that's how it worked like or works there but okay so here's here's what I've found like on January 30th the Facebook page for this chapter posted a disappointing result for our national team I think they had just lost to Serbia or drawn to Serbia or something. But a great day for our chapter's history. Our first viewing party at Rambling House was a great success. Thank you to everyone who showed up today. We can't wait to party it up again Friday. Three American flag emojis, three soccer ball emojis, three blue heart emojis, three red heart emojis, and then a shit ton of hashtags. So they've existed for a little bit longer than this, but for whatever reason, they've recently switched to your bar and they don't seem like they want (laughs) they're going to leave anytime soon. I don't know, though. Maybe, like, if you complain to management, they'll tell them they can't watch there anymore. I'd rather just, like, bitch and moan about it than, like, jam these people up, I guess. But (laughs) The thing is, though, like, 
the, the singing and the chanting and the scarf waving and all that shit is like it's very ingrained in outlaw yeah. culture. Like the whole thing about outlaws is like that they show up for every home game and sing very loudly. And so I I genuinely wonder if you ask if you ask like management to like try and get them to keep it down or whatever, or like be respectful, how they would react to that. Like I I, I genuinely don't think they would react particularly positively to it. It's free speech, man. <laughs> I also, I just want to go on the record also, like, I don't hate soccer. I actually quite enjoy soccer. It's just the ancillary stuff that... I think this is actually something that American soccer fans need, especially national team fans, need to start reckoning with, that, like, we are relatively representative of how people view, like, this sport, you're having an extremely negative experience with this sport as a result of these, you know, frankly, jackasses. And uh, it's... I don't know. I think, like, passion for your, for team is one thing, but, like, there, it's, it's got to be within reason. And it sounds to me like they're just not being very respectful, and that's a shame. Uh... I don't know, Sean, if you if if like the head of American Outlaws Bronx chapter was listening to this, which of course they are because we are the most popular podcast in the world, um what would you what would you say to them? Honestly, I would say please find a different bar. Like I don't want to like tell you like how to root for your team, just just please don't do it at my bar. Please. I feel like this we've started to record like some sort of charity appeal now. Like it's just sure like <laughs> desperately trying to get the American outlaws to, to This is all I have in my life. Bar. Oh god. I mean like in fairness, like it's not there's nothing like you guys have said, there's nothing wrong with like the passion of of like supporting your football team, but you don't generally like deliberately try and cultivate an atmosphere in the pub or like in a bar or whatever. I mean like the whole point of cultivating the atmosphere is that the team benefits from it. Like if you cultivate an atmosphere in a pub, they're not, they can't hear you. They're not listening. Like it's not, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's great to have fun, have a party and stuff. But then if you're in the pub, there are other people having fun who aren't like watching the U S national team and, you know, down in buds or whatever. So yeah, I don't know. It seems like a weird, I don't, I don't know why you would cultivate atmosphere in like the pub unless it's just a kind of raucous place anyway. Yeah. Like, don't you feel like if you were like an American outlaw and you went to a bar and you were like whooping it up and like making a scene, but like everybody else wasn't, when you feel like this is awkward, I feel kind of stupid almost like I'm British. I feel awkward about everything. (laughs) (laughs) So Sean, that, that has happened to me once, not with the outlaws, but I was at a bar going to watch the Arsenal FA cup final a couple of years ago. And the Arsenal bar I usually go to, which, you know, this was when I lived in DC and the bar would be totally packed every, every week with soccer fans. Like there was no one there just trying to like have brunch or whatever. They were filled to capacity like 30 minutes before the game even kicked off. So we had to find somewhere else. And it's like D.C. There aren't, you know, a part of D.C. where there aren't a ton of just like casual bars open at like 11 a.m. or whenever it was. So we ended up just going to this like hotel bar and it was really (laughs) awkward for the same reason. And like I felt awful of just being a part of it. Like I didn't. I didn't sing or anything like that because, like, why would I sing in a hotel bar during a soccer game? But other people were, and it was really, really weird, and I didn't really enjoy it. It's sort of similar to why I've stopped wearing, like, jerseys outside of, like, stadiums. Because if you lose, you're just some guy, like, walking around in a loser's jersey for two hours, you know? And it's just like, (laughs) 
I would just feel like like Eeyore, like sad Eeyore, like walking around, like oh my god, like what did I do with my life? Also, I'm a Jets fan. So. Yeah, well, there's that too. So you feel like a loser a lot, I'm sure. If you are a hardcore sports fan, you've basically just surrendered yourself to defying social conventions on a number of levels. Yeah, that is that is true to some extent. Yeah. I feel in a way, like, which probably caveat this, I'm sure these people are like well-meaning or whatever. I mean, I say that. I'm I'm not sure of that. I don't know them. They're, you know, I've, I have no idea about their character. Oh, but yeah. Like, you know, I, like... It sounds like misguided attempt to do something good, maybe. Is that too charitable? I don't know. I don't, I don't know them. I, no, I think, that's, I think that's probably what it is. I, you know, like, they're probably, like, professionals. Like, it's, Saturday, it's Friday, like, happy hour. Let's go throw on the scarf and make some weird chants and watch soccer. Like, I, like, I get but that. But not in your bar. But <laughs> there's just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, please, just anywhere. Camera slow pans around Sean's face. You messed with the wrong fucking bar. (laughs) It's just, uh, it's just a lack of awareness and like a lack of consideration for like the people around you, which pisses me off because I would feel that consideration. I would be like, "There's fifty percent of this place (laughs) does not care to hear my chant right now, and yet I'm (laughs) screaming it." That's. I just can't get over that this was for a fucking friendly against Jamaica. Like if this is like a if this is like a World Cup game, you know, go pound sand. This happens once every four years. Like I'm interrupting your dinner, and like I've watched World Cup games in that very bar. Like, I, and it's great. It's awesome. But yeah, like this is like fucking Jamaica. I would, who even did anybody win that game? Or I was think it a the draw? U.S. won. I, like, I didn't watch because it's a, it was literally the most pointless yeah. possible sporting event you could you could po- you could fathom. Like, there's nothing more pointless than an international friendly. And you know what? <laughs> like, if that game was on and those people weren't there, I probably would have watched it. But like, I didn't watch out of spite. I was like, I'm gonna watch the terrible Knicks play. Dude, that Knicks you know? game like, was more important. So, could you imagine like a D League game being on and some dude just like absolutely shouting at the television in the middle of a crowded restaurant about it. Like, I can't imagine that, and yet this is basically the equivalent of that. Doing a chant for, like, (laughs) Smush Parker or something. Yeah. All right, Sean, we appreciate you coming on and uh, telling the world about your trials and travails. Uh, We we sympathize with you, and we hope you get your bar back. Thank you for having me and uh, bearing with my, my technical difficulties. It was a joy. Thank you. Oh, also... One quick question. What is with all of our podcasts being named their food? <laughs> is that like a is that a random thing that happened or was that So here's how it was decision? explained to me. Cookies got named first. I had no idea about this, but cookies is a a basketball slang term. Like Oh yeah, for like a big shot or whatever. Yeah, okay. I had no idea about that, but I also don't pay attention to basketball. So that's how cookies got its name. Then the hockey podcast came next, and they thought, like, let's try and stick to the food thing, because why not? And biscuits is like a hockey term, like a nickname for the puck. Gotcha. And then we were naming ours, and we were explicitly told that, like, we don't have to stick to the food theme. But I felt like, you know, that was basically a signal that we had to, because if we didn't, we'd have to explain (laughs) why. And I didn't want to do that. (laughs) So we just, yeah, kind of stuck to it. Nice. Thank you for clearing that up. You're welcome, Sean. Uh, all right. So one thing before I leave. Tom Brady is a cheater. Fuck the Pats. <laughs> See you guys. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Nice to meet you, Will. Nice to meet you also. I, I don't know what that means about Tom Brady. I don't know who the Pats are. Just accept it as true. Your wonderful little bubble <laughs> there on, on your island in the North Atlantic there. 
we're not going to talk about Tom Brady anymore. Not because it's not interesting, but just because that's literally all anybody in this country is talking about. And we can be a break from that. So let's do that. Moving on to the next topic that we were originally going to discuss first, but then Sean miraculously fixed his technical issues by unplugging his computer and then plugging it back in. I, I, I don't know. Would, would you call it interesting? I'm not sure I would call it interesting, but it was initially reported that Leicester City might be considering getting rid of Claudio Ranieri, giving the club's, frankly, not good results this year. They're about they're one point out of relegation. And it was reported that he had lost the locker room even though it was mostly the same locker room that he had won the title with the year before. But today, the club put out a statement basically backing him in full. I'll read a bit of the statement here. It said, quote, In light of recent speculation, Leicester City Football Club would like to make absolutely clear its unwavering support for its first team manager, Claudio Ranieri. While there is a collective appreciation from everyone at the club that recent form needs to improve— the unprecedented success achieved in recent seasons has been based firmly on stability, togetherness, and determination to overcome even the greatest of challenges. The entire club is and will remain united behind its manager and behind its players, collectively and firmly focused on the challenges ahead. Will, what do you make of the statement? This is what, in the kind of cliched British terminology, we call the dreaded vote of confidence. This is basically where a club say, hey, there's nothing wrong, the manager's staying, you know, any rumours to the contrary are untrue. The reason it's dreaded in the truism or the, in the terms of the cliché is because it usually leads to their like sacking like about three weeks later. So I think recently, I think Alan Pardew got it at Palace most recently. Uh, Jose Mourinho had it at Chelsea. Brendan Rodgers had it at Liverpool. Tim Sherwood at Villa, he got it. And also I've got a good example here of like that exemplifies why it's so kind of inauspicious. Uh, there was a guy, there's a manager called Kenny Jacket who uh, I don't know if what any of our American listeners will be. Uh, au fait with but he was uh, Wolves manager relatively recently and he got the vote of confidence from the Wolves board when he was there and was sacked I think four days later so that kind of puts into context how uh, insubstantial a vote of confidence could be that said in the context of Ranieri I imagine it's intended in a fairly genuine fashion because you know obviously it's kind of mitigating circumstances in that Nobody could have predicted what happened last season, and I imagine that's complete psychological mindfuck for all of his players right now. But it's not a good thing. It's never a good thing if you get the vote of confidence, because although it, like, obviously on the surface seems like a positive, it suggests that inevitably you are already in a really, really fucked up position. So I guess just by sheer, like, dint of getting it, you are already in in kind of serious trouble. I, I mean, I haven't done like an exhaustive study on what these vote of confidences tend to sound like, but this one struck me as being a bit more fervent than the than the normal ones. Like the normal ones are usually like a three line statement, being like we fully support our manager and are sticking with them. You know, whereas this like was pretty effusive in its praise for Ranieri and really tied the club to him in a lot of ways you know that it it doesn't it, the, the interesting thing about this statement is that it didn't just say we're not firing our manager 
it was like our entire club's ethos is based on the idea that we would not fire our manager for something as as short-sighted as this run of bad results. So like if they do go ahead and fire him now like these statements often prelude it makes them look even worse. Yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm, I have to say I'm not sure that I buy that Leicester City as a football club have an ethos that is so distinctly tied in with this, you know, their title winning campaign or, you know, the brand of football they played or with Ranieri at all. Well, no, because they fired Nigel Pearson to then hire Claudio Ranieri, like, not long before the title yeah, won. Yeah, and I think, so. as we can see from the results of this season, as fantastic as their title was, and, you know, let's not, like, undervalue it in any way, it was absolutely the most cataclysmically weird and brilliant kind of sporting event in, in Britain in, like, probably decades at the same time, I think we've seen with the results this season that it was a very like short-term, temporary kind of run of form, uh, not a long-term kind of thing. And so to suggest that the club have built an ethos on that one, fan- albeit fantastic season, is, I think, potentially a bit disingenuous or, or just kind of starry-eyed in a way that doesn't quite quite add up. I think the interesting thing to go from there is to wonder how long they you know we I, I think we've been wondering this like basically since the second they won the title how long do they ride this wave but I don't think many people thought they would be facing a relegation battle in the very next season and how that would really force them into that decision sooner rather than later I mean they basically have to decide you know now or at least in the next couple of months whether keeping Ranieri is part and parcel with the reward of last year or if it's already time to kind of bury that you know accomplishment in terms of what it means for current decision making yeah it's interesting what you say about people not thinking that they or like you know people generally not thinking they would get relegated this season because the uh the editor at vice sports uk who our listeners won't know necessarily but who who we both do uh, obviously i do because i work with him uh, jim was telling me a couple of days ago or jim weeks sorry for his full his full title was telling me a couple of weeks ago that um he very nearly put a bet on when they were just kind of coming into the last kind of the last run of their of their title win the last kind of few games he was uh, he said that he very nearly put a bet on for them to go down the season following and I think that reflects I don't know possibly quite a lot of public opinion in in the UK and that people were so, so so sort of amazed by them winning the title that it actually felt weirdly fitting or kind of not predictable per se because it is another kind of incredibly strange twist in what has been an incredibly strange story but it felt it feels like considering how surreal it was that they won the title, that it would actually be a kind of fairly apt way for it to finish for them to be relegated the, the following season. In fact, I think there's kind of almost like a nice um, circularity about it, which obviously Leicester fans will not agree with me on, but which just kind of generally from a neutral's perspective, it, it just seems somehow fitting, I guess. So yeah, I mean, in terms of whether or not they stick with Ranieri I think if they fall into the relegation zone you know pragmatism will take over with their owners and they'll probably you know seek to make a change either way I think he should probably consider maybe well you know seeing out the rest of this season hopefully getting them safe from his perspective and uh, you know having perhaps another round in the Champions League but after that even if I was if I was him I'd probably call it a day simply because 
I think people forget what a low ebb his career was at. It's easy to forget now because, you know, he won, he won the league with Leicester. But he, before that, he was like basically, you know, struggling as like an international manager who looked like he'd pretty much been forced into sort of semi-retirement. So, you know, I think basically it's like the fact that he, he won the league with them is an incredible achievement. And he could very happily go out on a high if he manages to keep them up this season. So from his perspective, it's probably best to call it a day at the end of this campaign. I mean, the decision whether or not to keep him, is ba- it basically boils down to how much stock you put in last year being just this weird cosmic confluence of circumstances outside of anyone's individual control or whether you think Ranieri actually managed the team to a championship. Because... If last year is a noteworthy, you know, I don't mean noteworthy, but if last year is actually a managerial accomplishment on his part showing actual prowess, then you don't fire him just because of the bad run of results so far this year. But if you believe last year was, you know, just a, a just a gigantic fuck up of a of a season and and Lester happened to finish out on top and Ranieri didn't really do anything all that spectacular to make it happen, uh, then you're refusing to fire a manager who's leading you perhaps to relegation with a talented-ish squad. Like, I don't think anyone actually believes Leicester City is a bottom three squad. And you're doing it on a manager who has amassed this career of, of mediocre to poor performances because of one outlier season. Possibly. I think it's probably a bit more pragmatic than that. As in, I think that you can reconcile the idea that Ranieri was both fantastic last season and is struggling with the same set of players this season. I mean, I think that there's like, you know, that there was clearly like some, you know, some circumstances last season that ran in his favour. But likewise, it was always going to be like psychologically and mentally just crazy this season, considering that, you know, realistically, a lot of the players who won the title with Leicester are never going to top that achievement in their careers again and never expected to have that achievement. So how you recalibrate, you know, mentally the next season is always going to be... I mean, it's, it's basically unprecedented. So I'm not sure any manager, no matter how good, could have prepared his players for, you know, Leicester's post-title winning season. I reckon it's probably more a case of... Ranieri being, um, you know, being a competent manager who's, you know, had some seasons better than others, obviously. But, you know, in terms of how far his era can continue at Leicester, I think the reality is once you've achieved something that, like, spectacular and unexpected, you then perhaps, if you manage not to completely go the other way and fuck it up, you probably, it's probably just kind of wise and advisable to to bow out at, like, a, a reasonable juncture. So I'll put you on the spot then, and with everything we said about the dreaded vote of confidence and why this may or may not, or why this may not be of the same kind, do you think Ranieri finishes out the season with Leicester? I kind of have an inkling that they, I'm increasingly starting to feel like they might go down because I feel like some of the clubs who were, looked kind of dead and buried a few weeks or a few months ago, like Swansea and Hull in particular, uh, I think they've realised how like dire the situation is, and so they're really like in fighting mode now. And I think Leicester are kind of sleepwalking their way towards relegation because they, like like you said, I mean, I don't expect they thought that they would be in a relegation fight at least. You know, even if a couple of people kind of like possibly you know thought it was it was likely. I I think 
they probably won't sack Ranieri, but he'll go at the end of the season either way. Something like that. I mean, that seems likely to me. But I wouldn't be surprised if at all, at all surprised if they, um, if they are relegated. Now we get to the main event, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. We're going to debut a new segment here on Chips. And it is a segment that I personally am extremely excited about. Because it's a topic near and dear to my heart, which is debating which managers would win in a fight against each other. Uh, we The segment is called Manager Fight, <laughs> and it's going to be exactly what it sounds like. Will and I, every week, are going to pick two managers and just debate which one would probably win in a fist yeah, fight. Now, a theoretical I think, fist fight. <laughs> right, right. Theoretical fist fight. So, I, I, first, I think we need to set the parameters. I kind of imagine this fist fight is just like an argument on the touchline that gets out of control and nobody comes in to break it up is kind of how I'm envisioning all these fights happening. There are no, like, weapons. They don't get to bring anything with them. We're imagining them in their normal managerial attire. Like, this is just a, a good old-fashioned touchline fist fight. Is that is that how you're imagining it, too? I was thinking of it more like a kind of Victorian duel. Like, someone... Like, maybe there'd be a bit of a shoving match, but then someone would, like, throw down some sort of glove or gauntlet... And then they would like be relocated to like a sort of empty room where they'd be able to just have it out physically. But I agree that there shouldn't be like any like nunchucks involved or like there should be no weapons or like, you know, no kind of like heavy machinery or anything. It should just be pure, pure kind of physical prowess. Excellent. So I think that's all the all the setup we need. <laughs> uh, if every so every week we'll, we'll just talk about two different managers. Uh, other than that, there are no real rules. Um about who they are or what they're doing or anything like that. So let's jump right into manager fight number one in honor of this week's, I think, biggest game, uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea, in which Chelsea handily beat Arsenal and it wasn't really close. Uh, Manager fight number one, Wenger versus Conte. The recontining and... (laughs) Something I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll try and come up with taglines for the future ones in advance, but this one I just didn't. <laughs> so this is an interesting one because Wenger is much bigger. He's got the reach, you know. He he definitely, uh, even though he's older, he's I think he's got the physical uh, stature and wingspan to get in that first blow against Conte, but. Conte is younger, he's spryer, he's got more energy, he doesn't look like he's on death's door. Uh, so he's got a lot going for him too. Uh, so Will, where do you where do you kind of go with this? I often think the scariest thing about Conte is when he like jumps into the fans after they've like scored a goal. I think he did it on the weekend. I think he jumped into the fans at one point. And I always think if I was the fan who was like right in front of him when he like came running at me with like his like really cool transplanted hair like blowing in the wind and he just like leapt on me and he was like screaming and like really really intense just really happy about Chelsea scoring a goal I think I would actually shit myself I would be terrified of that situation um so I don't know I I'm I'm struggling not to picture I'm struggling to picture Conte in any situation apart from him just like windmilling towards you while just screaming at the top of his lungs and like generally just looking like a complete loon. In that case, I obviously think, you know, I think he might slightly have the edge on Arsene because even if Arsene got in like a big kind of 
like a kind of swinging long hook. I still think Conte would get in under it and just by sheer kind of mad physical force would probably probably have Arsene. But at the same time, you know, Arsene's quite a steely guy. He's considered. He'd probably realise this and have a strategy. It would be quite an inflexible strategy, I imagine, that wouldn't necessarily adapt to any like weird, crazy horse antics that Conte threw in. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. I think Con- I think Conte's got the sheer physical craziness as an edge. But then I think that Arsene has like maybe the the kind of cerebral fighting fighting kind of tactics. So yeah. I'm, I would go for a for a slim Conte win, but uh, I think it would be more even than people perhaps imagine. Yeah, I think the way I think it would depend a lot on how the fight starts and whether Wenger can get Conte in his grasp because Conte is is much wilier. He's he's more agile, and like you say, he's got I think he's got that crazy streak. And you know, if Conte can get like a ten foot running start, put his head down. And just spear Wenger. I mean, first of all, Wenger's—he's—he's he's a little—he's a little frail. So I think, like, I think if he can just get in like one solid, <laughs> you know, NFL-style tackle, he might break three of Wenger's ribs, and then that's done right there. And not to mention that once he makes contact, I mean, Conte—I think he's got all the momentum, and then you know it's in his control. But if Wenger doesn't let him out of his grasp at first and he can keep Conte from kind of using that agility and speed to his advantage, I, I I don't know. I could see that. I could see that. I could see Wenger getting in like a, I don't know, maybe a knee to the stomach or, you know, a kidney shot or something or even like tripping him somehow and getting him on the ground and stomping him a few, a few times. Uh, you know, he can be, I think, I, I think Wenger might have that surprising few opening seconds that could turn things. I think you're, you're like putting me in mind of like UFC moves here with, with Arsene. Like I'm feeling now that actually with that kind of like almost crab-like, spider-like kind of limbs, he could, or kind of like look just generally and kind of aura, he could maybe kind of, <laughs> he could like in a kind of almost peaceful way, just kind of slowly like wrestle Conte and like make sure that he was kind of immobilized and then just like, be like shh and just like stroke his hair and then he, he yeah just put him in like a sleeper hole yeah or exactly and then he just like he just kind of his his energy would get all worn out and he just like fall asleep and like actually it could be quite a tender moment <laughs> so they either fight or they snuggle is what they you're saying or they find a kind of zen like harmony do we want to pick like winners or do, do, is it just you know just kind of talk it out and leave it at I that. I guess we should probably pick some sort of result, shouldn't we? But I quite like Zen-like harmony as okay. a result. Okay, so result of manager fight number one, you have Zen-like harmony. <laughs> I think the Conte spearing Wenger, leaving him with several broken ribs, is the most likely outcome of that. So uh, I'm going with three broken rib Wenger and victorious Conte. Zen-like harmony also sounds like a really creepy dude's name on like a chat room. Producer Tim Barnes suggests a uh, band, and I think he's probably yeah, right. like a prog rock uh, band. In Brooklyn, it could also be like uh, some kind of yoga studio. <laughs> I could easily see it being. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Thank you for listening to uh, the seventh episode of Chips and the first manager fight. The victory goes to Antonio Conte and uh, Zen Like Harmony. <laughs> you can send us feedback, of which I'm sure you have lots. You can tweet at us at Chips Podcast. You can email us, chips at vicesports.com. Will, do you have anything else to, uh, to talk about this week? 
I did a piece on the like cultural significance of like old school football message boards and fan forums. So yeah, give that a read and find out how football fans secretly keep in touch with each other through weird kind of old school HTML message boards. How do you write so much? I don't do like any work compared to you. Well, I just have an excellent work ethic and, you know, I just get my head down, I guess, you know, I'm not like you out partying all the time. Yeah, that's me, all right. I think that just about does it. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we will be back next week. Have fun. Cheers, lads. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com <laughs>